welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane. As always, with me we have Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. I am a sports chiropractor in North Scottsdale, Arizona. Today we're going to be talking about having or systematizing and trying to make your, whether it's strength coach, healthcare, or skill work, fit into a system and not just kind of fly by the seat of your pants every time you come into practice. Because we want to be able to show that we are actually improving. That's the whole point of practice. Right. And I, I think one of the biggest things in approaching training and just thinking about our systems is you have to have a plan, right? From the get-go, you need a plan. But the catch-22 is you have to plan to change, right? So you have to have a plan, but then you also have to pivot in your plan. And uh, I think that is kind of the approach that is coaching or that strength coaches like to call periodization. Um, but there's nuance to all of that, right? We need to be able to adjust and pivot based on the day-to-day, but then also have a general system that we're actually working towards a goal and there are set progressions for. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting because we're going to talk it from one end, from wrestling coaching and a, a tactical progression side of things. We're also going to attack the S&C side of things and look at why periodization and why a rigid program maybe isn't the best. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, you know, winging it every time your athlete walks in the door is also not the best. So we'll kind of lay out what, how we see a system and how the best way to approach that planning process is. Yeah. So, so let's start with skill work. Let's start with the skill coach side of things. So from what I've seen, as well as throughout, through my athletic career, something that I feel like has lacked as far as trying to, trying to make your athletes better is having almost like a curriculum, if you will, like a very loose curriculum to move forward with and show progression. A lot of the times when it comes down to skill work, we have these people that are so extremely talented in that skill and they have so much knowledge, but they don't know how to go from base level to elite status going through a skill and going through motor control and motor development and try to actually have these athletes, I guess, that understand what they're doing, which is, which is really the, the main part of it. They need to understand. I can't just make somebody a technician that hurts them and hurts me. I need to make them a thinker. I need to make them understand the movements that they're doing so that they can critically think in their wrestling match, in their fights, in whatever, and use the technique without me having to yell it to them. Because if I have to yell it to them, that's an issue. No, 100%. I think that's a, a base level of progression and pedagogy that you know most coaches should have a base level of understanding of, of pedagogy or how you learn to perform a task. Um, and one of the biggest things that I go through is a stimulus response, um, just variability, right? So when I'm starting with a skill and maybe it's something my athletes never done before, there's one stimulus and there's one response, you know, either, you know, I clap or they decide to go on a rep and the responses perform this action, right? Once we've mastered that, or we've had a decent level of success, we add stimuluses, we add responses, you know, because it makes it more open-ended and it makes it more critical on the athlete's sake, because now they have to think about what they're doing. They can't just switch on to uh, autopilot and forget about what they're doing. So that's one way to continue to progress and thinking about like at a wrestling practice, maybe we're installing takedowns or we're just starting that. Okay. There's one stimulus. All right. Your athlete's going to post on your shoulder or your opponent's going to post on your shoulder. All right. And then maybe you um, pop that up and hit a double. There's your one response. Okay. And then now the next week or after we feel like we're at a good place with the doubles, uh, opponent posts on your shoulders. Now you pop that 
and you hit a double or a single, right? Two responses for the same stimulus, right? And that's just simple level of progression. And, and obviously, I think a lot of professional athletes or um, MMA athletes may be beyond this, but they also may not. Maybe you got a boxer that you literally need to teach a single and a double to. So just having that type of thinking within a progressive system, I think, is is somewhat lack. Yeah, it's it's the cook to chef, the closed end to open ended progression. There needs to be a starting point. If that's if that starting point isn't as simple as possible, you're going to get paralysis by analysis with the athlete. Mm-hmm. You need to have them be able to understand what's going on, and then they can think through the skills. And this comes into the overarching theme of we need to have almost like a month laid out of what we want to do for those days of practice. honestly, more than a month, like an entire year curriculum of, all right, this month we're going to focus on Greco. This month we're going to focus on MMA cage wrestling or like day to day, like Monday is always going to be Greco, Greco wrestling or cage wrestling. And then Wednesday is going to be strictly just takedowns, different things like that. So that we have a game plan going through, because if we don't have a game plan, one, one analogy, or I guess saying that one of my mentors, Mark King, um, he always says is if a good person meets a bad system, the system's always going to win. If a bad person meets a good person or a good system, the system's always going to win. The system wins no matter what. So why don't we make a good system? Because you could be the best coach in the world, but if you don't have a system behind what you're doing, you're only going to get through to a couple athletes. The whole goal of having a team is to try to get through to as many athletes, or actually every single athlete on your team, or as many as possible to make them as good as they can be. And that all comes from that systematic approach. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. And I think even more in depth than having monthly emphasis or monthly phases or monthly um, areas that you want to improve on is you can stack those months. So like you said, the first month, you know, let's say we're putting in takedowns, right? The next month, we're going to branch off those takedowns and go to takedowns off the fence or takedowns off the cage, like putting those things together and making building blocks off of them, just create an enhanced level of skill. And then let's say, Maybe the next month we're talking where we work on takedowns from every position and anywhere. And right, and that's adding those stimuluses and responses that can lead into more athlete based mastery and athlete decision making rather than having to you know, hit the double leg from the middle. Like that's not <laughs> gonna work, right? You want your athlete to critically make those decisions. Um, and something that I noticed and I saw this, I want to connect it from this weekend is watching Brian Ortega fight. Um, something yeah. that he did beautifully and it too soon, obviously too showed, soon. <laughs> and it obviously shows in his uh, training and his performance, he's at that point where he can critically combine his grappling and his striking, right? Yeah. He's grown and he's learned that if he combines the two and he figures out um, a way and looks for openings like that, then he's going to have success with it. And that's all from a learning perspective because we all know Brian Ortega that used to only want to grapple. Right. So adding those into his arsenal from a learning perspective has made him a more dangerous guy. Well, and something I don't want to go off on a tangent of that fight, but watching that fight, everybody knows that. So I'm also a wrestling coach with Fight Ready Pro Team and Zombie is one of our guys. And the one thing that I kept seeing that just was messing with Zombie was that knee pull single and just Mm -hmm. looking for that reaction. He just kept faking and then getting that knee pull single and not Mm -hmm. to do anything other than to just throw off Zombie's rhythm. And I just... I just, I know that's not what this podcast is about, but I just want to get it out into the, into the ethernet and that ether 
and say that was so beautiful and that was such a good way to distract against such a strong striker and throw off his rhythm and make him think about the grappling, even though the grappling wasn't going to occur. Yeah, so kudos, to the, yeah. kudos to Ortega. Yeah, it was, that, was, that was masterful. Yeah, yeah, that was masterful. Um, but yes, that was, that was a good fight. But in creating systems, right, we, we have his established rock stuff. We know he's a good grappler. So why don't we integrate that into learning how to strike off of that? And then we can create that learning system or, or have an actual plan to develop this striking off of his grappling rather than, all right, he needs to be a better boxer. Let's work on boxing. Well, and so, so that gets into what me, me and Alex were, are going to call, and I, I'm making up the name on the spot. Right. <laughs> Perform, the performance analysis and piggy bank, piggy bank um, theory or piggy bank actions. And it, it's based around how to insert your workload for each individual fighter and also pick up on where the coaching staff and where the fighter sees themselves. So it's a two part, it's a two step process in order to decrease overtraining in MMA and really focus on what the people should be doing. So the first step is going to be, we have our entire training staff supporting that athlete. So if we're talking about, we'll say Hunter Azure, one of our guys, we have me doing his SNC and his healthcare. We have Santino, we have Eddie, we and we have Alan, who are all of our skill and Angel, our skill coaches. And then me on the SNC and on the nutrition and on the healthcare side, we sit down, we rank his skills in those areas from zero to 10 and 10 being highest, zero being the, le- the least efficient. And then we have him do the exact same thing in those metrics. And we try to find A, where our coaching staff thinks he is, B, where Hunter thinks he is, and see those disparities. But the best part about this is we can actually see with at least slightly objective lenses where we think Hunter needs to improve. After we do that, then I'm going to let, or then I'll let Alex explain the piggy bank side of everything right here and try to get that workload and let him see where he can go further into his skills and where he wants to use his his pennies every day right and i think just framing that a little bit that is those are the bare bones of how we create the the plan or the the monthly phase and the workload that for an individual athlete this is where we get the the framework and this is where we can see how we're gonna um construct a week of training, construct this athlete's camp. So we do that with our performance analysis. We look at the skills and we kind of wait where we need the work to go, right? Whether it's these skills that we want to increase these strengths or whatever. And that's a tactical um, decision-making on a coaching staff and with the athlete. But we also use the one out of 10 as far as an RPE score to base uh, or to judge how hard each athlete's workout is. So in that meeting, we can have the the coach or the athlete write down their week's training schedule, right? What they're doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then they go through and they rank that uh, one out of 10 on a rate of perceived exertion, right? How hard was that workout or how hard are these workouts typically, right? And let's see, we have, you know, a, a striking practice on Monday morning. It's only a five or six out of 10. And then we have grappling, which is like a seven Monday afternoon. So we add those scores. And then throughout the week, we look at how much energy they are perceived to be exerting, right? And we can combine this with objective measures and things later down the line. But just to get a start, we want to have the athletes uh, input and the athletes uh, perception of how hard these workouts are and how hard they're pushing themselves. From there, all we need to do is we're going to create a system to limit 
the amount of work and to increase the quality of work that we're doing. So, um, and we're still playing around with numbers a little bit, but I think we settled on, you know, 12 cents, which would be 12 um, RPE points per day. So if I have two practices, I can't go more than a seven on each practice, or I have maybe an eight and a three, which is like a recovery or, or what have you, but we can't spend more than 12 cents a day. And then to extrapolate that for the week, we can't spend more than 50 cents a week. So we can't, you know, hit 12 every day and then be toast and not be able to recover for the next week of training. But it gives the athlete a framework of, of how they're taxing their body and how they're actually expending their energy. And is it the smartest way? Um, and it can get individualized more and more from that. But it gives again, a good framework and a good uh, overlook of a training load and a work capacity within a training week. Well, and I love, I love that we're trying, trying to get this done because yes, it could be for the individual, but we can also do this as a coaching staff in general. We can use this and extrapolate and do have all the coaches sit down and try to plan out the week and the whole goal of this podcast, systematize the training cycle for all of our athletes, not just one, because if we do this for every single athlete, we can see where we, our team skills are. We can see, Oh man, our team is an, on average, a seven out of 10 in Muay Thai, but we're a nine out of 10 in wrestling. Well, then why the fuck are we wrestling three times a week? That doesn't make sense. We should increase the Muay Thai and try to build or try to uh, try to like negate those differentials and scores. And it also comes down to what we've talked about before, the in-camp versus out-of-camp. Because as I've said, I'm pretty passionate about out-of-camp. We should try to focus on all of the things that are our deficiencies. We should try to make you as well-rounded as possible. But in-camp, we should know A, what the game plan is and focus on those skills. But also B, we should be able to try to elevate those skills that we know we're so good at. They got us to the dance in the first place and try to hunker down on those skills. Because at the end of the day, the lights turn on, you get punched in the face a little bit. What are you going to do? You're going to go to your strongest skills. So let's make those as as skillful as possible. Yeah, 100%. I love extrapolating that to a whole team's uh, training schedule and, and monitoring workload from that. And I think that's, again, done relatively well to an extent in a collegiate setting um or at least there's a system in place to allow that to happen right so i think that should be a no-brainer for an mma gem to adopt and and genuinely look at their training schedule for their pro team and you know plan accordingly the last part on this that i just want to add is i feel like having not just the coaches but the athletes rate themselves and and see the piggy bank things in general It opens up that line of communication that allows athletes to feel like they have a say in their training because they should. It's where it's, we're not a collegiate sport team. I mean, unless, unless you're listening to this and you are a collegiate coach, then you are. Even then, even then athletes should have some say, right? Athletes, they, there's real scientific data, psychological data to show that when an athlete has a say in what they're doing, they're going to have a higher buy-in and they're likelier to succeed because when you have buy-in in what you're doing, especially as a professional athlete, you feel like you're a part of the process instead of becoming a technician, which is what I talked about at the beginning. You feel like you're able to have those critical thinking, decision-making skills and as well, or 
critical thinking uh, conversations with the coaches, as well as it opens up that line of communication where once you have a say in your training, and if you think there's a deficiency, you should be able to voice that. You shouldn't be afraid to say these things to your coaching staff. And I feel like a lot of individual athletes do have that fear when you're in a team environment. Cause I know like personally, like I'm never the guy like talk about like academics. I'm never the dude that's going to raise his hand in class. I always go up to the teacher after class because a, I don't feel like my question, everybody needs to hear my question and B like, I just don't want to get in the way of what that teacher was doing. The same could be said for an individual athlete or in like in class. I didn't want to get in the way of their lecture. Same could be said for an athlete. If you're like, sometimes you have that anxiety of trying to get in the way of what you're doing and trying to change a schedule based just for you, but you should be able to voice your opinion in your own training when this is how you make money for your family. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Go ahead. I was, I was just finishing up. I was just going to say, so use, use these skills and use this time. Of, if you are rating yourself, take this as an opportunity to, to voice. If you have any issues with what's going on, like if you feel like there's a reason why you're at, you put a five out of 10 in wrestling, you should be able to talk to your wrestling coach and be like, I think I need to get better at these things. And then you can focus on that when you're in wrestling practice. Yeah. And same thing for the, from the workload side of things, you know, if, if we have, you know, a sparring session that's on whatever Tuesday or, or midweek sparring. And you put that as a, a six and your coach, um, you know, perceives that or wants that to be a nine practice, you know, why is that only a six? And, and you can open that flow of communication. And then maybe it's because, you know, Monday there you're getting hit too hard and Tuesday, you just don't have the juice to put a nine up, you know? So it's um, hugely integrative process with the athletes um, genuinely, having input into their training. And I think, again, for all the reasons that Austin said, that's, that's a good way to go about your training. Um, and so, I mean, I think transitioning from that, I think the next thing that we can talk about is the um, systematization of SNC and looking at strength and conditioning and how neither one of us can say that word. I'd just like to say that systematization. Both- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to call it systeming. No, don't do that. Um, <laughs> But talking about the creating of systems, there you go. I'll just say creation of systems. There um, we go. I like it. Ingenuity. <laughs> Within strength and conditioning, which is 100% a bogged down and very system-based, very periodized um, paradigm yep. in general, right? SNC coaches always have their plan, always have their annual plan, always have, you know, workouts scripted, um, which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? We can make a critique on the under end of the spectrum where, strength and conditioning coaches are maybe too plan oriented or too um, script driven. Yeah. And I, I've seen it personally with some of my, with some colleagues um, that no matter what people feel like they need to do what's on the sheet, because that's what the coach tells them to, whether they woke up, they're, they're sore, they're, they're banged up. Their sleep score was negative 10 out of negative 10. Like, like no matter what, they feel like they have to do the weights and the reps and everything that's on that sheet. And that's just not okay because that's going to lead to further decline. That's going to lead to injury. That's going to lead to all these different aspects. It's going to lead to them not wanting to be there, which is honestly one of the biggest killer of progress is when you start to dread your workouts, that's the bit. And that's honestly the biggest killer of you progressing in your career because it's no longer fun and training should be fun, whether it's lifting weights, whether it's like wrestling, whether it's all these different things, you should enjoy what you're doing because you, at the end of the day, fuck you're a professional athlete. It's your job. You should fucking love your job. I, I love my job. 
So, so you, I guess what I want to get across is we cannot have this straight up. I need to do what's on the sheet mentality because it only hinders our athletes. It hurts them to a point where there's further injury that could, that could occur. And that's going to decrease them being able to do all of the other aspects of their training. When in reality, nobody should ever decrease from going into the weight room. Nobody should ever add a decline from going into the weight room. It should always be going up. And if you stick to what's on the sheet, that can be a problem. Right. I think that's hugely um, important to factor in, right? Is where you're going to go and what is the actual goal of the session? I think a coach needs to have a conversation with the athlete about those goals. Um, But again, stepping back, we're going to look at it, right? From the technical side of things, we need to have a plan. From the strength and conditioning sides, we need to plan to change the plan, right? We need to understand that daily readiness and prepare or daily readiness changes for each athlete, depending on what they're doing and how they're performing. And then have a conversation with the athlete. That's the only way you're going to figure out how they're feeling or what they're doing. Unless you have some objective tracking is like, how are you feeling today? What's bugging you? Is there anything off? Right. Maybe, you know, athletes think they have to be tough and not tell you about tweaking their knee like yesterday at practice. Right. Dig into that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I have literally an example from yesterday at training. An athlete came up to me. He had hurt his shoulder sparring yesterday. He got there. I wrote him up because he only sparred two rounds. I wrote him up a, a really, I mean, a fairly tough workout because he had about a five out of 10 at sparring yesterday. And he came in, he said, man, I messed up my, my elbow. I, I'm just not feeling it. I had a private this morning that I just wasn't in for. Guess what his, guess what his workout was. We did rehab for 20 minutes. And then my office just got a golden tea machine because we're the coolest office in uh, in all of Arizona, you know, what I'm talking about the golf no game. That's in the, that is. No. the, the spin ball game that's in the bars, the golf game. Oh <laughs> yeah. So we have one of those in our waiting room. So his, once we finished rehab and once I needled him and I, we did some cupping, I said, look, his, his girlfriend was there working out too. I'm like, look, dude, like just chill. Like, I think it's going to benefit you. benefit you a lot more to go play 18 holes of golden tea than it is for you to do this workout. I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. Oh, He's like, awesome. really? And I'm like, and I'm like, yes, go play golden tea. Don't beat my scores though. I'll be pissed. (laughs) (laughs) No, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, You just, you just need to know. And the only way that I would have known that is because that athlete trusts me and he's able to say, look, I'm just not feeling it today. And, and it's also because I asked him the goddamn questions. He walked in having a body, a body language, like body language of slunching forward that he never does. His body language is completely different. And then you have to ask him those questions. Yeah, hundred percent. And that goes, you know, hand in hand with kind of where I'm at in my, you know, high school training. We in Colorado, they sprung a football season on us, right? We had been planning to (laughs) delay for COVID and everything. And then I think it was two weeks before the first game. They're like, nope, we're having a fall season. Let's go. And so, you know, athletes got slammed into a season and good on them. They want to keep uh, keep coming to our facility and keep doing their training plan and getting stronger. And like, that's awesome. But you do not need to come to our facility four days a week when you're in the middle of <laughs> So, you know, and instead of saying, you know, go away, stay home, don't come, we can spend, you know, an hour figuring out why I get a shoulder stinger every time I block or why, um, why is my IT band constantly tight, you know, and, and I've literally had some individual sessions where we were supposed to do this in-season lift. And exactly like you're saying, Austin, we spend 45 minutes just figuring out a movement issue, just trying to release an area, just trying to, you know, feel better. And that's something that, that I picked up, listening to the Micah Brooker podcast with uh, Mike Guadingo. He's like, 
if you make the athletes feel better when they're walking out, you did your job. Right. Yep. And I think that's a huge aspect of what we're doing. And then I also want to jump back to what we're saying, like not having the mindset of you need to accomplish what's on the sheet or you need to do what's on the board. Right. That's, that's, I think more, you know, it, it ties into a work ethic type of moral, but I think at the end of the day, it's more just like blind adherence. Uh, you don't need to do those things. Nothing is set in stone. Nothing, you know, write your plan in pencil. That's another thing that's, that's commonly uh, said yeah. in training conditioning. Don't write it in pen, write it in pencil because you're going to have to modify based on a multitude of factors. Um, but you do get some of those athletes that are, that are hard headed and, you know, I need to be tough and I need to work out and work through this. Um, so, and I think part of that is creating a trusting relationship again with your athletes and being able to say and tell them I'm in this for what's best for you. And we're going to pivot and that's what you need to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I get absolutely nothing. If you get worse, yeah. absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I've talked about garbage, garbage reps before too. And, you know, if an athlete is just looking like shit, feeling like shit, and then they, you know, need to complete the next three reps. It's like, why, why are you getting worse? Um, so well, modifying and, the plan. Well, I was going to say, and one thing to, to note is progress isn't a straight line. It never will be. Yeah. There's always going to be ups and downs, but guess mm-hmm. what? As long as the general trend is upward, that's all that matters. hundred percent. And then the other thing we want to bring up too, is like, we can add some variability in with those sessions too, and make training a little bit more fresh. Um, and we were talking about exercise selection a little bit before we started recording, but with an athlete that's maybe, you know, burnt out or wore down, we don't have to do the same correctives, the same warm up, the same this and that. We can change that up and, and create different um, stimuluses, different, more interesting exercise progressions. Because at the end of the day, when if one of those athletes' goals in their rehab or in their training is to increase, you know, hip internal rotation, your body doesn't recognize this and that corrective as specific when we're addressing hip internal rotation. Let's do something different maybe and see if we can get a better response or more intrigued and um, engaged athlete. And there are things that need to be consistent, but you can make things different all the time. And I think I do that a lot in my warm up. It's like, how can I make this more interesting for the athletes rather than just mindlessly jogging? Yeah. I've been using a lot, honestly, like before wrestling practice, I've been using a lot of like mimicking drills just to make it more fun. Like I'm like, add cartwheels in, add wrestling shots. Like if you get too close, give them a gut punch. Like, I don't care. (laughs) Like as long as you're mimicking your partner, that's all that matters. And that's the entire goal. And it makes it fun for people. But like talking about like programming and like having that consistent variability, as long as you have a general outline of what that athlete needs to get better at, and you stick to like, say you like me and Alex are talking, like if we're trying to increase our, our strength of our, like just hip dominant movement of our strength. We're going to do our trap bar deadlift. We're going to consistently try to throw that into a workout. But as long as we have the active parameters of, Oh, this athlete needs to get better at, let's say explosive, like a lactic explosiveness, or uh, we need to do a lactic capacity. And we're working within those guidelines. It doesn't fucking matter what workout it is. In in all honesty, it matters that we're hitting those same things and giving them variability that allows them to then use that system in the right way. Because I, I would even say for the most part for MMA and for conditioning, and you might, you might disagree with me that the conditioning side of things and conditioning is a lot more important than the strength side of things. When you're thinking about acute performance, I, I would agree. Correct. I think, correct. Yeah. Correct. As far as like, 
and that hurts me as a healthcare practitioner to say, because on the healthcare side of things, the strength side of things is really what matters because yeah, the stronger, about, stronger athletes get hurt less. If you think about <laughs> longitudinal health and longitudinal career, I think you need that, the foundation. But if you're thinking, I need this athlete to go in a fight in two weeks, get them in shape. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I think I, that, I mean, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I was just going to say, I, I, I'm almost positive that as long as we're focusing on the parameters or the, those key skills that you saw in your assessment, which hopefully you did <laughs> to work on with this athlete. And as long as those exercises and those workouts are geared towards increasing those deficiencies that you saw, that is all that matters, at least to me. Yeah. And that was one of my first lessons into the strength conditioning field, you know, principles outweigh methods, right? So if we have this general principle or we see something in assessment and that becomes a principle of somebody's program, we need to address that almost every time, you know, and then it doesn't really matter if maybe if we use a med ball versus a kettlebell, right? You know, um, we can train different uh, systems and different principles using different implements, right? Um, so, yep. The principles should stay the same where the methods can fluctuate and change, you know, everlastingly. Um, but yeah. And I think when all this gets really dangerous is when you have your athlete who understands this, understands the planning of the skill-based progression, the tactical approach. They understand the S&C, you know, principles that you're going after, but then they interplay and intermix and match and put it all together. And then they're making decisions and you can guide that process as a coach and, and maybe have a, a tactical game plan for them. But when they're able to have the autonomy to mix it all together and then the, uh, to choose how they perform and have fun when they're performing, like, I think that's when everything gets super dangerous because then they're a wrecking ball. Okay with multiple arms and multiple edges, not just a singular direction. And so that's, that's when your athletes get dangerous is when they put it all together from a good system. They're on the top of that good system. And then again, from their learning taxonomy that I've talked about, they're no longer just remembering and replicating what you've given them as a coach. They're on that higher tier of analyzing and creating their own approach and creating their own you know, success or their own performance. Yeah. They're a, I mean, they're a legitimate mixed martial artist. They had, right. they brought the artist into it cause they're free flowing and they're, they're hitting all the cool stuff. Yeah. Like instead of just listening to me in the corner yelling 72, 48 jab, jab, like <laughs> they, when, when they can go, when I, I get so happy in a sparring round and I, I just had this talk with one of our guys, I get so happy in a sparring round when I only have to say three or four words, when I can watch them do what they're doing and they're picking it up. One of our guys, Bryce Logan, does it better than anybody I've seen that actually in his LFA title fight, he literally switched the game plan after the first round when he, he told us, me and Henry in his corner, that I'm going to stick with my jab and I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep the lateral movement going, which was not our game plan at all. We were going to chew him up with leg kicks. And he literally told us on the stool after the first round, I'm sticking with my jab. It's working. Guess what happened in the second round? He stepped in on a jab and not got a knockdown on a fucking jab. <laughs> And I, I just sat there. Like, I didn't even say, I, I was just smiling. I just put my hands in the air. There's video of it. I just put my hands in the air. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, I mean, they're in there. The athlete is the one that is in the middle of the contest, right? They have the, and, and you have an outside perspective and a unique position as a coach, but athletes in the one in there experiencing all of it. I think that's uh, well within and that there. Yeah. But that tells me that we did our jobs as a coach that we, and it's not just us, but like the fact that I don't need to say anything, it's a coach's job is the same as a 
a healthcare person's job. It's a terrible fucking job because if I do my job right, the athlete learns everything that I can give to them to the point where they're self-sufficient. Yeah. Like that, that that's what good coaching is. And I, I truly think that was just super cool to see where somebody could make that decision on their own, made their own game plan in there. And it worked so well. Yeah. No, that's the end goal, right? Is to make yourself obsolete. I think that's uh, the terrible business goal. model. Terrible <laughs> business model. Great. Great for your moral though. Great for nobility's sake. Yeah. Ned Stark, this shit. That's uh, that's my, that's my, uh, my longitude. That's my trajectory right now. <laughs> but so that's that's really that is a brief overview of what me and Alex are thinking on as far as systematizing your entire training paradigm. So whether it's skills, strength, healthcare, which I didn't even touch on, I could do an entire 40 minute podcast on fucking healthcare systematization um, and just strength and conditioning. Just remember that a good system always wins. Whether you're good or bad practitioner, skill coach, strength coach, the system is always going to take over as in the long run. So if you guys have any questions on this, please shoot us an email or a DM. And the sh- uh, those are go- our contacts are in the show notes. But as always, thank you for listening for- to Building a Fighter. It's Dr. Austin. Talk to you all later.